Hey, it's Rob West. Before we get to the podcast, did you know that the MoneyWise app is an organized way for married couples to manage their finances and plan for future goals together? You can choose from one of three options depending on your management style, and it's available in both desktop and mobile versions. You can get this great biblical money management solution by going to moneywise.org and clicking the Manage tab. Now, here's the podcast. On the long list of words that don't sound like much fun, discipline is certainly included. But is that really fair? I am Rob West. Without discipline, there would be chaos and destruction. We all need it, especially with our finances. Discipline may not be fun, but it sure is necessary. I'll talk about that today, and then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is MoneyWise, biblical wisdom for your financial journey. Well, if you need any convincing that discipline is a necessary part of life, look no further than Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight. It reads, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. And that from King Solomon, arguably the richest man who ever lived. If discipline doesn't seem like fun, it certainly provides many other positive things to make your life better, peace of mind among them. When you have discipline to follow God's financial principles, for example, you worry a lot less about creditors calling you for bills you can't pay. Instead, you're putting money aside for emergencies and investing for the future. You can't put a price tag on that. The word discipline has developed a negative connotation over time. You might think of disciplinary action, which is punishment for wrongdoing. But that's not how the word started out. The verb disciple means to teach. A disciple is a student. Jesus taught his disciples how to spread the gospel. They certainly weren't being punished. These days, besides being thought of as punishment, discipline is often thought to be restrictive, that it limits our ability to do what we want. And that's what often makes self-discipline so difficult. Given a choice, we'd rather not limit ourselves. Now, here's where things get a little counterintuitive. If you think that discipline limits your freedom, actually it does the opposite, especially in the case of self-discipline. And let's use money as an example. You see, we have to train or discipline ourselves to live on a budget, to save and be generous as laid out in God's financial principles. We don't want to do those things naturally. We'd rather spend our money on whatever we want, whenever we want. We don't want to limit our options. But discipline doesn't really limit those options. It merely delays and focuses them. Over time, practicing self-discipline actually adds to your choices, to your freedom, because you're not in debt and you have money in the bank. Saving and investing require discipline. Proverbs 10.4 reads, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. As we acquire wealth, we also acquire more freedom, not to spend foolishly, but to live an appropriate, comfortable lifestyle and to serve God more fully. That's true freedom, and it only comes from discipline. 
And if discipline has developed an unfair negative meaning, freedom has developed an unfair positive connotation. You might think it means you get to have anything you want, a better car, a bigger house, or an expensive vacation with all the frills. But unless you're paying cash, all of those things only lead to debt, which of course is the opposite of freedom. Proverbs 22.7 warns the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. You see, true freedom requires discipline or it leads to disaster. Freedom without virtue becomes a license from which we get the word licentious, which means having a complete disregard for rules or morality. You know, our founding fathers knew this. They gave us more freedom than any people have ever enjoyed in history. But they knew that our nation could only survive if the people remained virtuous. To paraphrase many of them, without virtue or discipline, there is no liberty. There's a story about a woman stopping Benjamin Franklin as he was leaving the Constitutional Convention. She asked, what kind of government have you given us? Franklin replied, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. Old Ben probably would have fainted if someone told him his new country would someday have a national debt of $31 trillion. We need to remember that discipline is a good thing and that freedom can be dangerous. Don't be fooled by appearances. Discipline only appears to restrict you while freedom only appears to give you anything you want without earning it. The truth is that without discipline, there can be no real freedom. Hebrews 12:11 reads, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And if you think you can't discipline yourself to handle money according to God's financial principles, well, pray and ask the Lord for help. And we'd love to help, too, with tools like the MoneyWise app and the best content you'll find on how to manage your money wisely at MoneyWise.org. All right, your calls are next, 800-525-7000. We'll be right back. Do you ever feel stressed or anxious about money? If so, that's normal. But you don't have to accept that. You can find peace of mind and financial security. Learn how with the 31-day devotional, Money Seeking God's Wisdom. You'll find powerful scripture and practical exercises for spiritual and financial growth. You can request your copy with a gift of any amount. Would you consider a monthly or one-time gift by December 31st? Just visit moneywise.org slash give. How should we as Christians think about investing? What if we could invest our money in a way that aligns with what we believe? At Eventide, we believe it is possible to love God and love our neighbor in the very practice of investing. We design investments for performance and a better world so you can invest for the future with a sense of wholeness and purpose. We call this investing that makes the world rejoice. More information is available at investeventide.com. Welcome back to Money Wise. I'm Rob West, your host. We've got some lines open, although the phones are lighting up and the lines are filling up. So if you have a question, we'd love to hear from you. 800-525-7000. Let's go to the phones. Wooster, Ohio, WCRF. Joel, you're our first caller. Go right ahead. Yes. Hi, Rob. Uh, First of all, just thank you for taking my call. I got a question. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, So, I, I just recently got engaged to my now fiance and we're kind of just looking ahead 
um, planning to get married about this time next year and want to know what your advice is, both from a financial standpoint of how to prepare financially, but also how to prepare just kind of for handling our finances together and kind of to be as a team on that after marriage. Yeah, I'm so well. I'm delighted you're asking that, Joel, because this is often a missed step as an engaged couple prepares for marriage. You know, we go through the typical premarital counseling, and that's critical. But is the financial side truly addressed? And if this is going to be potentially the largest source of conflict, it is for seventy percent of couples. Uh, then it seems like it'd be worthwhile to really lean into it. And obviously, your question demonstrates that you have a desire to do that. Uh, I would say the first thing, Joel is to really communicate with intentionality about this topic, looking both back at the present and in the future. And here's what I mean by that. Looking back, I'd be wanting to talk about things like, how was money handled growing up? You know, that's probably the largest driver of how we handle money today is watching our mom and dad do it. What kind of financial situation were we in? Were we in a situation where we had an abundance or were we just scraping by and kind of what was modeled for you and how has that really affected who you are today in terms of handling God's money? Um, and then I would also want to look back just to say, how has God wired each of us? Are we more inclined to be spenders or savers? And it's not that one's right or wrong, good or bad. Bad. It's really just how has God wired us, and let's just acknowledge that as we think about bringing our finances together. With regard to the present, uh, I'd be talking about things like what kind of lifestyle do we want to lead? You know, if God were to continue to bless us financially, is there a limit to that? What is that cap, and what do we feel like God's calling us to from for a lifestyle standpoint? But also in our giving, where does that fit? Does it come first, and kind of how much do we want to do? Is it really about you know, starting with the tithe, or is it the tithe plus more? Uh, is that just the beginning point? And then as you look to the future, begin to think about, you know, as a married couple, as one flesh, where is God taking us? What are our values and priorities? And how does that then inform the goals that we'll set about for, you know, about the future? Is it really about accumulating more so we can, you know, save for specific things? Is there uh, giving goals that you have? You know, what are those goals? Being debt-free potentially could be a goal, especially if you have student loan debt, that type of thing. So I think having that conversation, looking back, looking at the present, looking into the future would be important. Uh, there's some mechanical parts to this as well. I think, you know, really sharing credit reports and having a, a a proper understanding of where you all are at financially in terms of your balance sheet, assets and liabilities, beginning to take a stab at that spending plan that you'll operate off of that accounts for all the income sources that you have and prioritizes your giving and your saving and your debt repayment and then that lifestyle that you're going to lead based on the income that you have, but where it's all been put together and you're starting to work through that. And then who is going to be the bookkeeper? You both need to be involved in all of the decisions but the question is, you know, is there one who's perhaps more detail-oriented, who wants to kind of be the one to manage the accounts and pay the bills, whether that's electronic or otherwise, and uh, beginning to work on some of those more mechanical pieces, I think, are really important as well. So I think if you were to do those things, uh, Joel, you'd certainly be uh, on a great trajectory. Um, if you wanted to take it to the next level, one thing that I've seen some couples do, and I love this idea, is to have a mentor couple 
specifically related to this area of finance, an older, perhaps more seasoned couple from your church who's willing to just kind of walk alongside you, maybe just for the first year, maybe a meet once a quarter and just kind of talk about how you merge your financial life under the Lord, but now in marriage. Um, and then the last thing I would say is do some reading on this. In fact, if you hold the line when we're done here, uh, I'll send you just as our gift to you, uh, Howard Dayton's book called Money and Marriage God's Way. And I think if you were to read that together, maybe a chapter at a time, talk about it, that'll give you uh, some additional, I think, grounding in all of these ideas around money management, but from a biblical worldview. Is that helpful? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you very much. I I never thought of looking backward and seeing how, you know, differences were growing up. So that's, that's very helpful. Thank you very much. Well, you'll be surprised at how that conversation goes. Not that it won't be positive. I, I think it will hopefully absolutely be positive, but a lot of people miss that. And it really has so much to do with who we are today. And it'll be, I think, just an interesting discussion as you think through that and you evaluate how some of those experiences, uh, you know, as children really inform how each of you handle money today and just being able to acknowledge that and then use that as a tool to perhaps drive toward even greater oneness as you think about about handling money moving forward. So listen, all the best to you, Joel. Congratulations on your upcoming marriage and hold the line. We'll get your information, get that book right out to you. Thanks for calling. Uh, Chicago, Hilda, thank you for calling. Go right ahead. Hey, Rob, I have two questions. The first question is about I-bonds. If I purchase I-bonds for my nephews for their birthday um, the next couple of days, is there, is there an implication for me in the long-term in my taxes? Uh, no, and, and you can, uh, purchase them for another individual. Uh, so you can actually buy them for yourself and then for your nephew. Um, and you won't have any tax issues. The most, uh, you can purchase for yourself or another individual is 10,000 a year. And that's well below the gift tax exemption of 16,000. Even if you went above it, you wouldn't have any taxes, do you? Just have to report it. Uh, if they're minors, you'd have to set up what's called a custodial account for them at Treasury Direct. Dot gov that'll be linked to your account there but it really is a custodial account so it's their asset it just doesn't become under their control until the age of majority which is typically uh, 18 so once you establish your account you open theirs link them to yours uh, as the custodial accounts then you can purchase the electronic bonds there at, at treasurydirect.gov thank you and, and and when you purchase when you purchase it, it's not like a, it's open-ended where you can put more money in it. It's, it's oh, a, yeah. You have to do a whole other purchase. No, no. You can add to it over time. You're just limited to 10000 a year in electronic bonds uh, per person per calendar year. Oh, okay. All right. And then my second question was uh, I wanted to open an account or help my son, who's 18, open an account for his Roth IRA. And uh, what are those limits? Like if I gift, I want to give him $6,000, put him right away in his Roth IRA. Uh, but is there a limit uh, for that since he does work, he does work part time? Yes, there is. Uh, you can only put in up to the limit, but uh, only up to the amount that he has earned income. So if he doesn't have earned income up to $6,000 for the year, then you would only be able to put in up to the amount of earned income he had. Now, if he's got more than 6000 you would be capped at, a, at the $6,000 limit. But if he doesn't have earned income up to that amount, you wouldn't be able to put in the full 6000 in that custodial Roth IRA in his name. 
Okay. All right. Thank you very okay. much. Yeah. And check out, uh, not all custodians offer the custodial Roth IRA, which by the way, I love that idea. Um, but, uh, I know Fidelity does and Charles Schwab does as well. So you could look at either of those to open those accounts, but yeah, you are going to be limited to the amount of earned income that he has as a young man working part time. Uh, hopefully he can get all the way to 6,000, but he may not be able to either. So thanks for your call. We'll be right back. Sometimes you just need a little guidance to help point you in the right direction. In 300 feet, turn right. If you're feeling lost when it comes to your finances, we're here to help. You can connect with a trained MoneyWise coach absolutely free. A MoneyWise coach can help you build a personal budget, develop a plan to knock out your debt, and more. Visit moneywise.org connect. That's moneywise.org connect. Christian Healthcare Ministries enables believers to meet their health care costs affordably, biblically, and compassionately. It's not insurance, but a voluntary cost-sharing ministry based on the biblical example of Christians sharing each other's needs. And members aren't fined under the law for not having health insurance. Christian Healthcare Ministries might be your health cost solution. Call 800-791-6225 or visit chministries.org. Welcome back to Money Wise. I'm Rob West. We're taking your calls and questions on anything financial. Back to the phones we go to Wisconsin. Kevin, thanks for calling. Go right ahead. Hi. Um, my question basically is, should I cash in my 401k and pay off the balance of our debt? Yeah, so give me a breakdown of what you've got, Kevin. How much is in your 401k? Um, we have 187000 in our 401k, we owe 215000 on our house. I have about 40000 um cash on hand. And right now on our house, we're paying 3.25% uh, interest on a 10-year loan. And that comes out uh, currently at 20 bucks a day is the interest. So it's roughly 7200 a year. Mm -hmm. And how far into that 10-year loan are you? Um, we're three years in. Okay, so you have that paid off in seven years. Are you adding anything to it currently on a monthly basis? No. Okay, and uh, what is your age in proximity to retirement? Okay, well, I'm 63. Um, I don't plan to retire anytime okay. soon. Okay. Um, mainly because I like what I'm doing. I'm, a, yeah. I'm actually a pastor. Oh, cool. And, yeah. and, um, we have other investments. We won't, we won't need the 401k in retirement. You won't need it in retirement. Okay. All right. Well, uh, yeah, a couple of thoughts. I mean, that's an interesting piece. Most folks who are calling, asking this question, could use that 401k in retirement just as another source, another asset that could generate income to supplement Social Security or uh, whatever else. But if you don't need it, that obviously <clears throat> puts it on the table. Um, you know, what I would typically say in a situation like this is, at a minimum, let's line up the payoff with our home with our ex retirement where we might stop 
paid work and redirect to something else or part-time work or something like that. Um, and that takes that biggest expense off the table uh, at that point so that you can take advantage of the compound growth uh, in that retirement plan to maximize that asset so that it can be available to generate income in retirement. The caveat to that would be twofold. Number one, you just have an absolute conviction from the Lord to be debt-free as soon as possible. And if you have that, I would say you need to follow the leading of the Lord and do that. Or two, and that's your case, which is, again, very rare, you don't have need for this 401k based on the planning and the other uh, savings that you've done. And if that's the case, then the question is, okay, what's the wise way to do this in terms of from a tax situation. Um, because if you're still working, uh, you're over 59 and a half, so you're not going to pay a penalty, but it is going to be taxable. So at the very least, you'd probably want to work with a CPA or accountant to determine what's the withdrawal rate that you want to follow on this 401k um, to not trigger higher taxes where you'd push a portion of this up into a higher bracket. So you may decide rather than, you know, pulling the whole thing out in one year and all of a sudden your, you know, taxable income swells dramatically uh, in one year, you may spread it out over two or three years just to keep those tranches smaller because they are going to be taxable. So, Kevin, uh, grateful for your call today, my friend. God bless you. Uh, Deontay in Oklahoma City, you're next on the program. Go ahead. I'm 28, and uh, my wife is recently uh, went from working in the uh, marketplace to being a stay-at-home mom. And uh, she has very little in her 401k. Um, after tax, it's probably like a thirteen, fourteen thousand. And um, we have maybe a few thousand dollars in debt, but it's not like a credit card debt or anything like that. Just trying to figure out, you know, what, you know, what to do with it. We do want to kind of make money on it um, as it yeah. sits because we just don't want to put it in savings and nothing yeah. going on with it. Just trying to figure, you know, what to do with that. Yeah, I would roll it to an IRA, Deontay, and uh, you could either do that at, you know, Schwab or Fidelity and just put it into, you know, like the uh, broad market index ETF. So essentially where you're capturing the whole market and you could do, you know, 100% of it in, in the stock index, um, or you could do, a you know, maybe 70, 30 stocks and bonds and just forget about it. Um, the other approach is to use one of the robo-advisors. You could open an IRA with Betterment or the Schwab Intelligent Portfolios, and that would take a little bit more. Uh, it's still an automated solution, but it would you know, build the portfolio with a little more intentionality based on the algorithm that's in there. And that would be driven off of questions that you answer. So her age, risk tolerance, goals and objectives. And then it would build a low cost ETF portfolio that has a mix of, you know, large cap and small cap and international and domestic and, uh, you know, and also some bonds there as well. So I think that would be a great solution for you, given the amount you have here. It's very low cost. And you're just trying to capture the broad moves of the market over time. We appreciate your call today, uh, Deontay. Hey, let me finish today with an email from Naomi. Uh, Naomi wrote to us uh, over the weekend and said this. Uh, Naomi writes, my boyfriend was let go from work last year. He has credit card debt and college debt. I'm debt free. I've been saving to buy a house. We may get married in the next year, May. Should I use the money that I've been saving for a house to pay off his debt or should I just keep paying as we go? And Naomi, 
uh, don't <laughs> pay off that credit card debt. Sorry to be so um, emphatic about that, but here's why. Uh, you know, if the Lord allows you all to marry, great. When that happens, two become one, including your finances, but not before. And here's the thing. It sounds like you're being very responsible in managing your money and saving for the future. And I'm not saying he's being irresponsible because he had a job situation, but what I'd like for him to do in preparation for potentially marrying you is do the hard work to get this paid off. I would direct him to christiancreditcounselors.org. Let's let them get the interest rates down, get him on one fixed monthly payment and start making progress on that. In the meantime, you two come together and start talking about how you're going to handle money as a married couple um, if the Lord leads that way. But again, he's your boyfriend. He's not your husband. You need to continue being a steward of your resources that God has entrusted to you until such time as you all are married. And we appreciate you uh, writing to us today at questions at moneywise.org. God bless you. And that's going to do it for us today. And as we wrap up, let me just say thanks for being with us today. Thank you for your calls. Thank you for listening. And thanks for being a faithful supporter of this ministry. You know, beyond the broadcast, we have an entire team of contributors and coaches, and web designers and media producers working each day to develop tools and content to help you become a better biblical money manager. And none of that work would be possible without your financial support. We offer a lot of it for free, and that's only because of the generous gifts from listeners like you. If you're not yet one of our financial partners but would like to be, would you visit our website at moneywise.org and click the donate button to sign up? We'd certainly be grateful. In the meantime, please set an alarm on your phone and make plans to join us again next time. I'll be here, and I hope you will be too, for the next installment of MoneyWise. MoneyWise is provided by MoneyWise Media and listeners like you. 